You are listening to Beyond the Jargon, a jargon-free look at graduate students and their research journeys here at UVic. Welcome to Beyond the Jargon. I'm your host today, Liz MacArthur. Joining me in the studio is Kristen Keynes, a master's student here at UVic. And I don't know what specifically you're doing your master's in. We talked briefly before the interview. Um, I know that you've had a change. You were studying orca vocalizations. I don't know if you're still doing that now. I'm not. So um, I started my master's degree with a very exciting project that I actually started planning in my undergrad. And the project was going to be matching visual identification and localization of orcas with acoustic localization. So using multiple hydrophones to find out where a call came from. And with that, I would be able to match calls to individuals and try and find out if individual orcas have different voices, for lack of a better word. Uh, Unfortunately, deployments don't always go as planned. And we intended to deploy all of the hydrophones in the spring before I was going to do my research in the summer. And two of them got deployed um, in early July. I was going to start researching in June initially. Um, And the last one got deployed in the second last week of August. So that one was pretty late and not useful to me. And I tried my best to collect what data I could with just the two hydrophones deployed. And after all of this, I did a sound test to try and figure out how synchronized they were. And they were off by about seven minutes, which is physically impossible given that they were only 20 meters apart. So something was wrong with the system. And it's a fatal error for my data. So I've had to change my thesis topic. And now I'm going to work with data that's already been collected. So I'm working with data from Ocean Networks Canada, which is a um, essentially a science data collection and management facility on UVic campus. It's an initiative of the University of Victoria. And they provide their data freely on the internet to anyone who wants to use it for anything. So I'm going to look at their hydrophone data. And um, my plan is to assess the abundance of different marine mammal species in one location using the hydrophone data. Hmm. And this is an area of research that's pretty new in acoustics. There's only a few papers out uh, that have tried to do this, mostly because most of our sampling methods to try and determine abundance are visual. And when you only have a single acoustic point and you can't see what you're listening to it's hard to know how many you're listening to it's even hard to know how far you're able to see as it were Mm -hmm. um, or hear so it's a very challenging topic but it's one that I'm hopeful will be useful to the scientific community if we can really suss it out Mm -hmm. Um, so are you in the faculty of like biology I didn't I usually say what what and I guess school people are in. Are you in biology or earth and ocean sciences or? So I did my undergraduate studies at UVic in biology and I'm doing my graduate studies in earth and ocean sciences. Right, okay. Um, And to follow up on what you were talking about your new project, I guess, well, I have a lot of questions actually. Yeah. (laughs) It sort of interests me that uh, you could study, yeah, abundance of marine creatures in a location using sound because I think when I think of things living underwater, most of the time I think of silent creatures, um, Hmm. which maybe is wrong, but I I don't know. (laughs) That's what I think of. So, how many 
like what kind of noises are you looking for and like are fish making noises or are there other creatures that are making noises that you're looking for yeah so um I, I have been analyzing the acoustic data at Ocean Networks Canada for about two years, so I have a pretty good idea of what we hear there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are a lot of animals that make noise. So fish do make a sound, um, mm-hmm. or a lot of species of fish anyways in our area. It tends to sound kind of like somebody burping or farting. It's not a very attractive <laughs> noise. <laughs> but in closer to the shore, like in our at our Folger Passage node, we hear snapping shrimp a lot, so it always sounds like something crackling. Huh. And a lot of marine mammals produce sound as well. So mm. things that we've recorded on the hydrophone, on the Neptune Hydrophone Network and also the Venus Network uh, from Ocean Networks Canada include all three ecotypes but all five communities of orcas in the area we've recorded sounds from humpback whales gray whales possibly say whales blue whales fin whales false killer whales pacific white-sided dolphins northern right whales dolphins and possibly baird's beaked whales wow yeah so a lot of animals Mm -hmm. (laughs) far more than i anticipated it's really interesting though about like the, the fish making funny noises and uh, and the shrimp as well. So do you have like a ballpark idea of how many, um, I guess, species and creatures are gonna actually be recording and how will you actually record and I guess talk about your findings? Um, so I think for my research anyways, I'm gonna be limiting my analysis to um, probably humpback whales, Pacific white-sided dolphins, fin whales, and maybe orcas. They're not around there as much. I really want to focus on the ones that are there a lot. Oh, and sperm whales, because mm. there's sperm whales at Berkeley Canyon almost all the time. That's the one I was missing. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm hoping to focus on those species just because they're the most common at Berkeley Canyon, which is the node that I'm focusing on. Mm-hmm. And so I have the most amount of data about them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going to have to take into consideration sound from lots of other animals because the amount of noise in the band, like in the frequency band at which these animals vocalize, which is just like, it's kind of like pitch, um, affects how far you can hear those animals. Mm -hmm. So if we have, say, a boat in the area, which is quite common there, there's some fishing boats go there and um, large transport vessels go by there. that will really limit the distance that we can hear most of the marine mammals. So I am going to have to characterize the amount of noise from other sources. Um, And those sources will probably largely be boats, but also be things like wind-driven waves, rain, all of these things make kind of a, like a fuzz sound. Huh. Um, Where exactly is the the location of the node, I guess, that you're focusing on? Okay, so, The node I'm focusing on is in Barkley Canyon, which comes out of Barkley Sound. It's north of Victoria, but south of Port Alberni. Mm -hmm. And it's um, it's kind of it's pretty close to the continental shelf Mm -hmm. or the edge of the shelf. And it's on the western side of the island, right? Yeah, it's on the western side of the island Mm -hmm. and it's a submarine canyon. Mm -hmm. Okay. and okay, so there's one uh, camera there, I guess, and uh, and um, microphone and or hydrophone, and you're just focusing on the microphone. Is that right? Um, I'm actually not sure if there is a camera there. Oh, okay. 
if there is a camera, it's not focusing on anything that will help my research. Right. Um, so I, I am just focusing on the hydrophone. Right. And there's only one there. We've had several there over the past because we've had to switch them out and sometimes we've moved them from one part of the node to another part of the node. But overall, I have about six years of data that I can work with from that area. Mm -hmm. So so you can go back and access that data. You're not looking at necessarily stuff that's going to be generated in the next little while while you're doing your uh, finishing your school, right? Yeah, so I'm gonna limit it, it to the data that's already being collected at this time. Mm -hmm. uh, partly because I, I, there has to be a natural limit on which data I'm looking at and I can't wait for all of the data to come in. Mm -hmm. So it's easier to work with data that's already being collected. Um, but we also have a large gap in the data right now because the Barkley Canyon node is, was damaged during this year. So the hydrophone isn't currently running. So that'll be my natural end point for right. what I analyze. And hopefully we'll be fixing that uh, hydrophone in August when we go out on our cruises. Mm. But for the time being, it's not working. So when you're talking about the data that's collected there that you have to go through, so six years, are you just going to be listening or do you have some sort of like readout with uh, different frequencies that you can uh, like visually see this is, you know, this whale and this is this other whale? Or do you have to actually listen to six years of audio? <laughs> <laughs> well, listening to six years of audio would take six years because we're collecting 24 hours a day. So that's not practical. Uh, the way that I currently look at the data is by looking at spectrograms, which uh, they are essentially pictures of sound. They're like a, a I guess technically a, I mean, they're, they're 2D, but they're kind of like a 3D graph because one of the dimensions is color. Mm -hmm. um, and it has frequency on the y-axis and time on the x-axis, and then different colors represent different loudnesses over time at different frequencies. And so from that, I can look at that and see the patterns that uh, different sounds make and through training I know what those patterns mean mm -hmm. like what species it is or if it's a boat um, so that's how I'm analyzing the data now but that's still not practical for analyzing six years of data mm -hmm. so what the plan is is to implement some classifiers I haven't decided which ones yet but it is a burgeoning field in acoustics and passive acoustic monitoring of marine mammals is designing classifiers and detectors that can go back through lots of data and mark where there are sounds that could be marine mammals and make a decent guess as to what that marine mammal is. Hmm. Um, so there's a number of classifiers out there right now with a wide variety of successes and failures and like some of them are okay and some of them are great. And they all really depend on what species you're applying them to and what kind of classifier it is. So I'm going to have to do a little groundwork to figure out which ones I'm going to use. Yeah. <laughs> when you say classifier, are you meaning like a, like a computer program that you can run the data through to locate things? Or what do you mean exactly? Yeah, that's, a, that's exactly what I mean. Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a really, really interesting project. And I kind of wanted to talk to you about what happens when, you know, you start one project and then you know, data collection or whatever fails and you have to move on to another one. Uh, was it, I mean, you talked about how you your first project you started developing while you're still doing your undergrad. So it must have been really difficult when it didn't work out and you had to move on. How did you sort of, 
I don't know. How did you get through that? I know grad school is really tough for people and really stressful. So I'm interested to know, like, how you made that transition to another project. Did you want to pull your hair out? (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, the failure of my graduate research over the summer was not quite as sudden as I make it sound, Mm. because I knew with a new deployment there could be issues. I knew the GPS timing of the hydrophones could be one of them. And I also knew from being there when I was collecting data that I wasn't getting as many calls as I was hoping for. So I was already thinking of changing my thesis topic when I got back to maybe looking at whistles because I had more whistles, but I still didn't even have a lot of those. I probably would have had to do multiple seasons. And so after going through this process of it, this project won't work for this reason and this project won't work for that reason, I finally find out none of them will work because they're not timed. And I was like, well, that sucks, but I've seen this coming for about four months. <laughs> and I, I always knew it was a pie in the sky project. It was very ambitious uh, and it would have been quite labor intensive afterwards as well. It would have required quite a lot of analysis. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might actually be better to do as a PhD anyways. Mm-hmm. So I, I've i just put it on the shelf. I haven't given up on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking that I might do it for a future project, but for the, the sake of actually graduating from my master's, I decided, well, I'm gonna need to do something that I can feasibly do in the next year or two. I might as well work with data I've already have. And transitioning to working with data from Barkley Canyon is pretty easy because I've been looking at that hydrophone for a couple of years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know what kinds of animals I should expect there. Um, I know a little bit about the seasonality of, of them. So I already have some expected outcomes. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the hard part really has been trying to figure out, okay, what project can I do with this data? Because it's very different to go with, I have a question and now I'm going to design a project to answer it mm-hmm. versus what I'm doing now, which is I have data, what question can I answer? Um, so that was a little bit challenging and actually figuring out how to analyze the data is a challenge because now I have to build some new skills that I wasn't going to need to use for my original project. Mm-hmm. When you talk about the uh, the hydrophones not being, I guess, synced or timed properly, mm-hmm. um, how, like how far apart are they and why were they not matching up in timing? Was it just some, like you would think if the, they're just there recording sound and a sound was made, they would sort of just collected at the same time? Yeah, so they do, they, the hydrophones collected the sounds at the same time. Mm-hmm. But the problem is that after those sounds are collected, there has to be some sort of way to label them so that you know what time that was. And somewhere in that process, sounds that were being collected at the same time were being labeled as having been recorded at very different times. Right, I see, okay. Yeah. Yeah, making it totally impossible to use any of that. I see. Yeah. And um, there is some people who uh, know about this kind of research might come up with the suggestion of why don't you just back calculate, find out what that difference is and calculate backwards through the data. And it's definitely something I thought about. But the two hydrophones were not coming into the same system because one of them belonged to DFO. And so we only had limited access to that system. Mm-hmm. And the one that was coming into the Saturna Island Marine Research and Education Society's system, which was, um, the system was donated by Ocean Networks Canada, um, its clock was being reset once every hour. 
So it would be impossible to back calculate unless I had some sort of instantaneous sound every single hour that I could use to compare the timing of the two hydrophones. Which in itself would just be a huge amount of work as well. Like on top of yeah. all of the other work. Well, it would have had to have been very lucky. I would have had to have a boat go by every hour or like something happen every single hour. And I definitely did not have that. <laughs> it's a really interesting, I think both are very interesting projects. And you mentioned like shelving your first one and maybe coming back to it eventually. Are there other people that are working in that field and sort of doing that kind of work? I'm not sure. I mean, I've, I've seen some things, I've seen some work done uh, that's similar that's being done with different species. I haven't seen it done with orcas. Um, and I've, I haven't seen it done in terms of analyzing for, um, like vocal structure that's consistent, like, um, how do I put this? <laughs> um, cause the research that's, that I have seen being done is looking for individually specific vocalizations. So for example, through similar research done correlating sounds that are that we use multiple hydrophones to triangulate where the sound came from with visual identification and localization of marine individuals, we found that bottlenose dolphins have signature whistles, which are kind of like names, and they produce their signature whistle, and it's unique to them. And mm -hmm. every once in a while, if another dolphin wants to get the attention of that dolphin, they'll produce that dolphin signature whistle. Hmm. So we have learned that kind of stuff. But that research doesn't really work for killer whales because all killer whales in a pod share all of the same call types and the same dialect. Hmm. So they don't have calls that are unique to individuals. So this is why I was going to take it in a different direction and say, well, if they don't have unique calls, maybe they have unique voices in which they say those calls. Mm -hmm. But I haven't seen that done with other animals. Hmm. To my knowledge, it might be in the literature. Yeah. Uh, interesting. So that's something, yeah, I can see why you would want to pursue that eventually as like a project. <laughs> Have you always been interested in what you're doing now? You said you did your undergrad here at UVic. Um, did you sort of picture yourself doing this kind of work when you started out or were you, did this develop over time at school? I definitely developed over time. I pictured myself doing boat-based whale research, just like every burgeoning wannabe whale researcher. <laughs> <laughs> But I did the co-op program at UVic and I had opportunity to explore a whole bunch of different ways of learning about marine mammals. So I did some boat-based rail, re rail research um, in that process and also having volunteered at the UVic Whale Lab, I did some boat-based research. And then I decided to try something different and I decided, um, I, I took the introduction to acoustical oceanography course, um, which I took it as a directed study because the professor who taught it retired and they haven't hired somebody to replace him. Right. But I realized that as I was learning more about orcas and as I was taking that course that they really live in a world of sound and observing them visually is useful. But if I didn't dive into the world of sound, I was never really going to understand them. So I decided to try out acoustics-based research and I went to... Uh, Orca Lab up on Hanson Island in the Broughton Archipelago on Johnston Strait and I volunteered for them for a summer and I decided I, I was really into the acoustics mm -hmm. so prior to having gone there I had I had gone to hand in an assignment and talk about when a test would be with with that retired uh, professor who was doing a directed study with me in acoustical oceanography and 
He was having a meeting with some people from Ocean Networks Canada at the time, and one of them was my boss and, well, my current boss. <laughs> he wasn't my boss then. <laughs> and um, he's always looking for people who are interested in acoustics because acoustics is a very complicated, multidisciplinary field, and it's hard to... Um, there aren't a lot of people who are interested in really getting into that field because it is so complex and because there aren't really programs that support learning acoustics very well. Mm. Um, not in a lot of places anyway. There's a couple places that do it well. Uh, so he gave me his card and he said, you know, if you ever want to come work for us, send us an email. And so I got back from Orca Lab and I sent them an email and I started working there. <laughs> and it's just been really exciting learning about all of the different, like what all of the different kinds of marine mammals sound like and which marine mammals are in different areas and like working, we've we've been adding hydrophones every year since I've been there. So it's always exciting when we put in a new hydrophone and we always go, oh, what are we going to hear at this one? So it's been quite interesting. Are there big surprises from when you put in a new hydrophone and you hear stuff? or Absolutely. It, yeah? Like what kind of stuff is surprising about adding new ones? So the Neptune Observatory that a lot of the hydrophones I look at are on is an 800 kilometer fiber optic telecoms cable that runs out of Port Alberni goes way out across the Juan de Fuca plate out to the spreading ridge and then comes back around to Port Alberni. Mm -hmm. And so along that line, we have several nodes uh, that we can deploy instruments on and they're in very, very different marine environments. So we have one at Folger Passage, which is very, very close to Bamfield Marine Sciences Center. Um, and it's only 30 meters in depth. And then we have two that are on or close to being on the shelf and the shelf break. We have one in the deep ocean. Uh, actually, we have two in the deep ocean out in um, the abyssal plain. And we have another node that is at the hydrothermal vents at the spreading ridge. So they're very, very different areas that support different communities. And even areas that look a little bit similar can still have very different marine communities in them because marine mammals are very sensitive to minute changes in what animals are there. I mean, if their food really likes to be in a certain place and not in another, then they're going to follow that. Um, and some of them prefer to be closer to the open ocean and some of them prefer to be closer to the coastal waters. So we get a really wide variety. And whenever we put a hydrophone in a new er area, there's always the opportunity for recording something we haven't recorded before. So, um, yeah, we do get a lot of surprises, and uh, a couple of our biggest surprises lately have been that we deployed a hydrophone at Claquat Slope, which looks a lot like Berkeley Canyon. Mm -hmm. It's another submarine canyon on the shelf, but Claquat is a little closer to the shelf break or the edge of the shelf than Berkeley is. And we, we were totally expecting it to just have what Berkeley has. It was going to be sperm whales and Pacific white-sided dolphins all the time, and that was it. But that's not actually what we found. Since we put a hydrophone there, we're finding that we're getting a lot of dolphin whistling and are unable to identify which species of dolphin is doing so hmm. because dolphin whistles from different species sound very similar. It's much easier to tell the difference when they use pulse calls, but these ones are not using them. And we're finding, instead of finding lots of Pacific white-sided dolphins, we're finding a lot of northern right whale dolphins, which sound similar, but the way that you can tell the difference is they make 
patterned series of calls. So they'll make like five or six calls that are different from one another. And then they'll make those five or six again, and then they'll do it again. And it seems, it sounds almost like it's almost like a reflection, but it's not. They're actually emitting this pattern over and over again. Hmm. And they found that these patterns are specific to specific social groups, but we don't know a lot about it yet. So it's pretty exciting. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. really interesting. Yeah, I can see how that would be a totally exciting uh, field to work in, especially when you know you get that sort of interesting data coming up. Do you think once you're done your master's, do you intend to just carry on working, um, doing this kind of acoustical, uh, I guess, research and work? Will you stay with Ocean Networks Canada, or do you? Is that all up in the air? <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of up in the air. I mean, I hope to continue in marine mammal acoustics. I'm really enjoying it, um, but. We'll see what jobs are available mm. when I graduate. I would hope to stay at Ocean Networks Canada, but if they can't keep me, then maybe I could go somewhere else. I've heard, um, I'm, I've, I've had a little bit of interest from people I've worked with at Department of Fisheries and Oceans because it's a bit of a specialized skill to be able to hear a marine mammal and know what it is, especially when you get to like within species level, because I can hear a, a recording of a killer whale of any ecotype and know which ecotype it is. I don't mm. need to... It's really easy for me, and apparently that's a specialized skill. <laughs> I'm just lucky that way. I thought it was a random useless talent. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's possible that I'll uh, be able to use that skill in other work environments if I can't stay at ONC, but I hope to stay. Mm-hmm. So we'll see what happens. I guess it's kind of like uh, birders and knowing the difference between bird calls and, mm-hmm. and knowing the difference between... Um, marine mammal calls, which I guess fewer people can do. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for being my guest today. And I mean, when you're further down the road and closer to being done, it'd be great to talk to you again about what you found. And uh, yeah, so come back sometime. Yeah, that would be awesome. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Jargon. If you want to listen again, go to our website, cfuv.uvic.ca and click on the listen tab.